All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Missio podcast. Uh, we have been walking through our new series, What If Jesus Was Serious About Prayer? And I hope that it's been a good start to the series. You know, But one of the things that I think is really difficult about things like talking about prayer is that often in churches will tell you that it's important, that you know, we should all pray. It's a part of a community of faith. But then a lot of us are stuck feeling like, yeah, but what are we actually supposed to say? What do we do when we pray? You know, how often is often enough to pray? What am I supposed to feel when I pray? Am I supposed to be getting something out of this? Do I talk the whole time? What am I supposed to do? Do I listen? So I think prayer is both powerful and yet also mysterious. We both understand it on some levels and then have no idea about it on others because it's not just a simple, definable activity with this highly perceptible result. And really our goal for this 12-week series on prayer is not necessarily to answer every question that you have about prayer, or really to even help you create a formula for how to pray. It's to begin to help us understand the why of prayer, so that then we can begin to create meaningful ways in which we can engage in prayer with God. And so in week one, which we had a couple of weeks ago, we started with answering that why question, why do we pray? Or perhaps even a better question would be, you know, why did God give us the gift of prayer? Do you remember what we said was the starting place of prayer? The starting place is relationship. You know, Simon Sinek says to start with your why in, you know, things like business or life or whatever it is. The why is the purpose for your existence as a corporation or a family or a hobby or whatever it is. And if if we were to ask God why, what is the purpose of prayer? Two weeks ago, we said it's because God has this unquenchable desire to be near you, to love you, to, to have your story intertwined with his own story. And yes, God created for his own glory. That's something that you will sometimes hear in churches. But his glory and the thing that brings him joy is having you with him. And we know this to be true from countless moments in Scripture, but the most obvious being his willingness to send Jesus to offer a more perfect union between us and God. And so prayer functions as the tip of the spear relationally with God. And then last week we talked about how in prayer we are then filled with the presence of God. We are filled by God with his character, his goodness, his motivations, his passions. And we looked at ways that we have received from God and then ways that we long to receive more of God, to be filled with the fullness of God. And that prayer is the place, you know, of, of receiving God's presence, his character, his passions, and more. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to be, we're going to continue building off of that why, the why of prayer and the purpose of prayer. And we want to peel back some of the how. You know, since we know that prayer is about relationship with God and being filled with the fullness of God, how exactly then do we pray? Do you guys know that when a baby is born, the doctors and nurses immediately want to place the baby on the mother to have a prolonged moment of skin-to-skin contact together? You know, I actually learned this as our kids were being born, but the question I always had was why? Why do they do this? Do you guys know the re- reason why? I know a lot of people have had babies and so they understand this, but but there is a biological and psychological reason for a newborn to be immediately placed skin to skin with its mother. 
The benefits range from things like the baby's brain being stimulated because of the contact to then being able to better absorb, absorb and digest nutrients. They experience a more stable heartbeat and breathing to developing stronger immune systems and a host of other benefits. And these all result as the baby rests on the strength and presence of the mother. The fullness and life then are allowed to, to thrive because of that moment of, of reliance on the mother's presence. You know, but it's not just the baby that benefits. The mother also experiences psychological and physical benefits from this immediate skin-to-skin contact. There is a connection and bond that happens in that moment between mom and baby that is the result of something deep, something unique. And this connection is not like some kind of casual, hey, how are you, little baby, kind of connection. It's a connection that is formed by mom and baby having a, 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 a deep forging relationship. It's something deeper than just simple conversation. It forms a communion between mom and baby. And this communion exists because of presence and love and closeness. You know, every week at Missio, we take communion. But the question I always have when we're taking communion is, do we actually know what communion means? You know, most of the time when you try to define a word that describes a religious practice like communion, it is often defined by that very thing that it is describing. So in other words, if you Google the definition of communion, typically the first thing that you're going to find is a definition that reads a Christian sacrament with bread and wine consumed as a memorial of Christ's death and resurrection, which is a true enough definition of the practice of communion. But what does the actual word communion mean? And so communion actually comes from the Latin communionem, which means fellowship, mutual participation, sharing that which is common to all. And it implied a depth of connection that went straight to the core of you and another person. So then when we are actually taking communion as a church, we are inviting the very presence of Jesus into our being so that more and more, we we no longer look like ourselves alone, but we begin to look like us and Jesus together. You know, for most of my life, I thought that prayer was just simply communication with God which in and of itself, I think, is actually a pretty amazing thing, right? Scripture even confirms that prayer is, in fact, communication with God. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27, Paul says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the heart, the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so, yes, see, prayer is, in fact, communication with God. But we limit prayer when we assume it is simply communication. It certainly is communicating, but more than that, it is communion with God. It's that connection that can only come as a result of our nurturing Father allowing us to rest on His strength and presence so that His fullness and life can thrive within us. John 14, 8 through 14 says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? 
The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask anything in my name, and I'll do it. See, prayer is more than just communication to God. It's actually communion with God. It's sharing in his presence and power, which is going to be a part of what we talk about next week. It's, it's mutual participation, the closeness of relationship with God. We had a moment of silence at church the other day, and we just did it just to simply experience the power of not saying anything and just receiving God's presence. You know, there's simplicity in prayer that we often overlook when we make it all about communicating to God and not communing with God. But have you ever found yourself in a scenario where you didn't know the people around you very well and either you had nothing to say and you couldn't figure out how to get the conversation going or you had too much to say and you couldn't get your part of the conversation to stop? (laughs) You know, a lot of times as people, when we find ourselves in places that are unfamiliar, We either talk too little or we talk too much in order to alleviate the awkwardness of silence. And I think the reason is because when you meet someone for the first time, you may have a few things in common with them, but most of your lives are going to be disconnected from each other, which is normal. And that's why it's so important to spend time with people to get to know them. But this is often how I think we approach prayer. We see God as this unfamiliar kind of awkward new relationship that brings out our shyness or our uncontrolled chattiness. And so if you were at church with us a couple of weeks ago, we, we, I asked you to have that three minutes of silence. And I said not to think of anything in particular. That Try not to think of what you're supposed to say, but rather to focus on one word that you're going to repeat that just brings, keeps bringing you back to the silence that speaks then to the depth of your relationship in the moment with God. See, I think there's power in silence and resting in the presence of God. But then let me ask you this question. If silence is so powerful, like we've been talking about, then why does it seem so difficult to achieve silence? What actually happens to you when you try to find a moment of silence in your day? Say, say you finally find a quiet place and you have like three minutes to yourself. What tends to happen in that space of silence? If you're anything like me, then as soon as you have a moment of silence... Your brain can't stop thinking about the 15 things you feel like you should be doing rather than being silent. I mean, I think one of the greatest barriers to communing with God through prayer is the frustration we feel as we fight to clear our minds. It sometimes feels like like we've done the hard work of quieting the environment all around us, and yet our minds are noisier than they ever have been. I mean, seriously, have you ever felt that? So I was reading this last week in Forbes that Forbes claimed that the average person in America is exposed to between four and 10,000 advertisements every single day, which means then that the entire world, it seems, is trying to get your attention. And if so many things that are vying for your attention, how do we silence ourselves to receive God? I have found, honestly, that trying to ignore or push away the noise in my head so that then I can get a little me time with God makes the distractions in my head all the more front and center and seem like they are louder and needing more of my attention. 
See, I think a part of communing with God is not about trying to silence the noise in your heads as much as it is about allowing those to be places of connection and communion with God. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 is a well-known passage that says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And, you know, for, for the longest time, I thought this passage was saying that feeling fear or anxiety is wrong and we should avoid it. And when we sniff out the beginnings of panic or anxiety or uncertainty or fear, that then we just pray and then God's going to bring us peace. But how many of you in your anxiety and fear and your uncertainty prayed to God and it didn't necessarily bring peace? At least not right away, right? And this is certainly my story, but I have come to believe that this passage is less about diagnosing like clinical anxiety and more about the first part of the passage that happens right before verse 6. And so Paul says, starting in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he goes into the passage that we just read. See, I see this less as Paul saying, you know what, shame on you for feeling anxiety or fear or uncertainty. And more him saying, look, life is full of anxieties, full of fears and full of uncertainties. And here is the power of your communion with God. Rejoice, be glad, take delight, which is what rejoice means in your communion with God. Why? Because the Lord is near. The Lord is near. He isn't far away from from all that you are feeling. And so take those things that are swirling around your head and bring them before God. Communing with God is not about trying to ignore the noise, but rather to begin to believe in your bones that the noise is important to God and he is near. Communion with God means allowing all of yourself to be present, resting on the strength and presence of God so that fullness and life can thrive in us and through us and onto the people around us. So don't try to push away the 15 things in your head in order to clear space for God because real communion with God is about inviting God to be part of each and every one of those things that you are thinking. You know, if we were to take, say, one minute and just allow all of the things that are swirling around your head just to come to the surface of your brain, What are some of those things? What are the things that occupy the space in your head? See, God wants to be invited into all of those things. No matter how small you might feel they are, they aren't small to God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we went camping as a church, and I know a lot of people were there, and it was a wonderful time. And one of the reasons that I love our camping weekends every year is because we live in one of the most beautiful parts of the country. I mean, just hands down. My family and I drove all over the U.S. this summer, and there were some incredible places with amazing beauty that reflects the creativity and wonder of God. And it was amazing. But there is something special about the Northwest. And I may be partial, you know, partial to that because I grew up in the Northwest. But beyond our camping trip being in a beautiful place and the fact that we love to camp all together for a weekend, there is another motive for our annual camping trips that we take as a church. 
You know, one of the things that we as a church at Missio learned and we really sought to discover over the past couple of difficult years during COVID when things were not normal was we wanted to discover what worship really is and what it, what it means to truly be the church together. And all through COVID, I said things like that the methods for how to do church are not what church is, but rather it's the mission and the people that make us the church. And whether or not methods shift or change doesn't change who we are. It simply changes how we are engaging as the church in the moment. And see, we wanted to help encourage and empower people to develop a sense of being with Jesus in every moment of their lives, not just for an hour on Sundays. Not that, that, not that Sundays are unimportant. I don't want to minimize our, our Sundays together because they're such important moments for us to pursue worship, to pursue relationship, to pursue love and communion with God. But COVID taught us that communion with God can happen anywhere. And not only can it happen anywhere, it should happen anywhere. If you watched any of our YouTube videos over the last couple of years as Missio Church, there were so many silly videos that we made during COVID, you know, things like teaching on mountain bikes or at the beach or on roofs or Tara was taking a stroll in the woods with her, with her girls. And, and what we wanted to show was that communion with God is not tied to a time and location, but it's something that travels with you because it's tied to who you are, not where you are. See, it was during COVID that we started these annual camping trips at Missio because it, and it wasn't just about fun or being together or being in the beauty of nature. Those are certainly true about our camping trips. But the thing that we longed for people to know and feel on those trips is that communion with God happens as a result of who we are with God, not where in the world that we are. And, and several weeks ago when we went camping at Lake Diablo, I promise you that that place was saturated with the presence of God and the conversations that we had, the laughter we experienced, the sleepless nights and the bruised knees were a reflection of us as a church experiencing communion with God in that place. You know, Psalm 139 says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence if I go to the heavens you are there? If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. See, I think one of the most beautiful, most important things about communion with God and prayer is that it can be found anywhere. There will certainly be spaces and places where you go, and those places are where you specifically are going to meet with God. I remember my mother-in-law telling me that there was a place in the Columbia Gorge that she would get, go to, and the closer that she got to it, she began to be drawn into the presence of God uh, because that was the place that she went to meet with God, and she would go, and she would look at the beauty of nature, and she would spend time with God. That was like a, a holy place for her. There will be places that draw you in immediately, that will be holy places for you and God to meet. But the power of communion with God is the continual and constant walking and talking with God that creates a life with God. One of my favorite people from the famous chapter of faith in Hebrews 11 is Enoch. 
you know, so Hebrews 11 talks about people of great faith. And then, and mentioning Enoch, it says that he was taken from this earth basically because of his faith. And the only other mention of Enoch in the Bible is in a genealogy in Genesis 5, where twice it says, and Enoch walked faithfully with God his whole life. You know, if all that we are, if, if all what people know of us is that we spent our lives walking with God, then according to scripture, that makes you a hero of faith. See, communion with God through prayer takes place as your life is unfolding in real time. There's this last passage that we're going to read uh, for this teaching. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, communion with God happens in your home, with your roommates, with your children and a spouse and friends. It happens in your gym, your workplaces. It happens in the pub or the cafe. It happens in nature while camping or on a walk. Prayer. It, it is certainly communicating with God. But more, it is communing with God. See, I think we are like that newborn baby in need of the strength and presence of God to fill us to the fullness of God so that his life can thrive within us and so that then we can share that with the world around us. Prayer is about communion with God. Thank you for listening to this teaching. Uh, we're going to talk about power and presence next week. Have a wonderful week. Bye, everyone.